welcome to From the Rooftops, a superhero podcast about superheroes by two people who like superheroes. That one's Clay. And that one's Stella. And that's as close to a straight opening as you're going to get out of us. Oh, hey. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you all had a, a, a real nice uh, uh, holiday break. A wonderful scrack-filled holiday break. <laughs> We're going to set up a Patreon just so that there can be one tier at like $1,500 a month. And the reward for that tier is, Clay will explain to you what scrack means. I will never explain what scrack is to anybody. You had the opportunity. You had it in your head. In fact, and you missed it. You missed it. And the world will never know. Just suffice to say, you will occasionally get blind, blindsided in conversations with Clay, especially when you're just trying to, you know, settle into the comic book talk. They, chilling out, you know, nice, nice, for, for me, it's a nice, warm summer evening. I, well, technically it's one in the morning, but still, it's, you know, it's nice and warm and chilling out, having a nice time, hanging with a friend, nice cool drink in my hand, and all of a sudden, bam, scrack and its explanation. I mean, that's, that's how he felt, you know? Yeah. So uh, actually, I would assume it was a little more willing participant. I would hope. Yes, know? yes. You don't want unconsensual scrack. Yes, you want enthusiastic, continuous consent for all scrack sound effects. It's very important. <laughs> so, moving on from that, uh, we Thanks, thought we'd take this time to talk about other ways in which we're right when it comes to superheroes. And that is, we're going to talk about character designs and visuals. Yeah, like, that is one of the unique things about superhero design that you don't get. This is from my perspective, right? And other people can disagree, but... And I'm sure, like, people who have gone to school who are art students and experts will tell me how wrong I am. But, as I'm sure your professors do all the time, Talon, <laughs> the, it, it, one of the cool things about superhero design is, like, you have multiple levels of what you're doing. In the sense that, if you design a character you're going to design the clothes they wear and what that says about them. And more or less, that's it, right? But if you yeah. design a superhero, you're going to have, one, the clothes they wear and their design, or sort of their aesthetic, their fashion. But then you're also going to have their like, outfit, their costume. And that's a whole separate... You're almost designing two separate characters. And the rules of superhero design are different than the rules of person design, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, when when you're talking about representing a character's wardrobe, that in, in a lot of ways is a form of character voice. You are representing what kind of clothes that character can afford, the kinds of places that character would shop, how much thought they put into what they wear, and that all goes in to the secondary element of the character costume as a superhero represents them. And the superhero costume is a really interesting thing, because... Along with all those elements of character that we now kind of have to backfit onto them, their origin point was usually about making art simpler and easier and more emblematic. So there was a, a, a constraint that set the style, and now, ever since then, we've been seeing this constant evolution and mutation within the confines of that style, and it's all super interesting. Yeah, and there are things that would be, like, you wouldn't do in other types of design. Even, like, fucking, like, anime, super yeah. elaborate design, you wouldn't do that because, like, well, a person doesn't look like that. But you should very much do that for a superhero. Like, I always think, like, there's two halves of their design, right? There's aesthetic and there's fashion, which is, like, aspects that come from who the character is and their background. And mm -hmm. then there's, like, theme motif, or I guess, uh, would the word be semiotics, you would say? Yeah. This, this is an element of semiotics, yeah. Right, where... They're expressing an idea, like the character is choosing to express an idea mm. with their and, and, dress, right? And you get all sorts of, of levels of what we call base assumptions, where, mm. um, to, to use a non-superhero example, Zangief from Street Fighter, <laughs> everything okay. about his character design is projecting strength, but it's one very specific view of strength. So you get this enormous, top-heavy, shamelessly shirtless dude covered in hair where he can have it tiny shorts and you know kind of tapery legs because that's not as important as the big powerful shoulders that is you can tell looking at him that the design of Zangief cares more about his big shoulders than they care about his uh than they care about his feet yeah like Geef well depends on who's drawing Geef and it, and it depends that's, on that's yeah <laughs> you're getting because, like, a lot of artists here 
Because you have fucking, like, Abigail in SF5, who was just this, like, horrifying mountain of muscle, like, from top to bottom, and yep. then his V-trigger is he gets even bigger. So, like, yeah. like Abigail's I mean, arms are big enough to stick through a tractor and wear them as shoulder pads. Yeah. And, Literally. And, um, there's, there's also, um, like, you know, Andore and, and E-Honda. T- to use fight game characters just as a general framework, like, all those characters are big, and they are all communicating something about the way they look. And that works to you, the player, based on how big they're going to be on your screen as you engage with them. Comic book characters, on the other hand, are having to work as cinematographic entities. Like, they need to be able to treat be treated in a meaningful way at a very long distance, up close, and a whole range of different things in between. They don't need to be shown in motion. They need to be able to show to pretend to be in motion, which means you get these odd things like, um, does, do you remember the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> do, do you remember how odd the it was and how they never showed you exactly how the mask fit back on his head like they showed it with it off they showed him even putting it on and they always cut away at the crucial moment where it was like gonna get buckled up or whatever or zipped up or or, or gelled in place or whatever the hell it did if you look at him holding that thing very carefully you can see it is extremely stiff like that is not made out of fabric that is made out of several pieces of plastic like it doesn't Flop. The way we're made to assume Spider-Man's costume works by, you know, comics history is that the mask kind of flops around like a sock. But when you see him hold it in most of the movies, it's just very hard thing, you know, because it's 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 a it's a thing that's being presented for film. Right. Yeah. And, And so in comics, you don't need to ever show the practicalities of how that works if you don't want to because you're always having a lot more control over every single instant that goes into a comic this means that character design in uh in in a superhero comic uh, when you are trying to show the superhero and therefore action scenes when you want things to be as unambiguous as possible you want characters to have really bold striking signifiers that keep them separate from one another this is part of the problem of when we jokingly call life field style character design during that period in the 90s that grimdark era where everyone was more or less wearing black leather and and kind of all had the same basic style it got really muddy seeing who was interacting with who in an action sequence because they looked very similar see now there's levels to that because i feel like like, like, what we consider sort of classical superhero design is a thing that came about more towards, like, the Silver Age. Because if you go back yeah. to the Golden Age, and they were doing just ridiculous bullshit, and yeah. you could see a clear moment where, like, everyone kind of got flattened out. I think the, the like, my go-to example is always Green Lantern and the Flash. Like, original Green Lantern looked like a fucking wizard. And he had this big shirt and these big pants this big cape and tall collar. He had a lot of shit going on. Modern, yeah. like, post-Silver Age Green Lantern was just a guy in a straight onesie. Same yeah. thing with Flash, where you get this character who's wearing very real clothes, and the clothes, because their clothes express something about the nature of Jay Garrick, and the hat says something. And then you yep. get, you know, Barry Allen, he's just wearing a red onesie with accents. And, mm-hmm. and that's why I think there's, like, where you draw that balance between, like, theme and, like, aesthetic. And, there are costumes that I think are really good at one and bad at the other, and like there needs to be a good balance because then you can express aspects of a superhero personality, like that character, you know, if you know when to lean on aesthetic. And I think yeah. you lose certain important aspects of design when you forget motif entirely and you just go full aesthetic, you know, all yeah. military or like that's kind of a problem Superman has. Like, A, he's he's the first one, so of course he's the most basic, he's the most iconic in that regard, but Superman is all, like, aesthetic and no theme, right? What's the visual theme of Superman's outfit? What, Superman? you're asking me? I'm asking you to, hey, take, go for it if you got something. Alright, so so the visual aesthetic of Superman's outfit is the 19th No, no, not, not the aesthetic. What idea is he communicating with the oh, images and symbols sorry, of his sorry. outfit? The My shit bad. that's on him, what is it, like, what word is that thing saying to you? Okay, strength. Strength. Just not specific. Okay, what is the Flash outfit saying to you? Speed. Speed? The lightning bolt says speed to you? Actually, yeah, uh, um, the, the bolt, you're actually in a kind of a 
awkward place when it comes to those particular character designs because you're talking about two visual motifs that are so foundational to culture at this point that if you showed me a ring with a lightning bolt in it i'd usually go that's a power, that's a flash thing right exactly usually, right like it's a usually after my brain also went is that a power ranger thing no no, no it's a flash thing <laughs> exactly but the one i like putting in this place the most because of where it is is wolverine because i think wolverine has a fantastic like themed costume with like which terrible, one like they're all kind of the same Really? Like, they've, they've changed in various ways, but the general shape of it and the stuff that's on it stays the same. Yeah. And I, alright? It's very clear, like, do you know who Dakin is? No. Okay, Dakin is Wolverine's son, and that is all I'm gonna tell you about him right now. Right. Uh, I, he I, wears I will, Wolver- in the interest of kindness, not Google him. It's, it's, it's for this point I'm making. Um, yep. And for a good while there, he wore Wolverine's brown and orange. You know what right. Wolverine's brown and orange looks like. Yeah, but I was going this- to say, there, there are, to my mind, there are four basic Wolverine looks. There's the I'm not being a superhero look, which is basically jeans and a jacket. There's the movie look, with, you know, the live action movie look, which is basically black. Anyone yeah, could the wear this. Biker suit, right. Yeah, and then you have the yellow and blues from the first cartoon, and then you have the, the orange and brown from, right. uh, the, from around that same era of the comics. And the, the orange and brown, the yellow and blue are doing very similar things visually. Yeah. So let's um, say orange. Interestingly, and bl- one of them, one of them is actually. Uh, I think they are a good example of serving different media too. In that, um, mm-hmm. the the orange and brown works better at allowing a, uh, a, a, a an artist to hide him in the panel. Like if you wanted to sneak through underbrush, you could draw him behind stuff with the oranges and browns, and he'd pop less. And that would be like you, if you wanted to do that and make it play with the whole idea of him as a stalking hunty guy. Whereas mm. the yellow and blues on the cartoon, which were going to be shown in motion, were much better at making sure the extremities of his body, the hands and fists, were much more easily tracked. But you know that's that's me talking about forms of media again. Anyway, you're no, you're not even. Dakin. You're 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 on a good place because I also like the yellows and blues when he's in the X-Men, because yep. yellow and blue are X-Men colors in my head, right? Oh, so and like, by the way, the yellow and blue is the best look for a video game. <laughs> Straight but, up. I want to see the bits that collide, and I want to see them pop. Right. But, like, let's... So Dakin walks in, and you know this is Dakin, not Logan. He walks in in his orange and, orange and brown. He looks at someone, and he opens his mouth, like, and he moves towards him. What do you think he's going to do? You know this person isn't Logan. You're just going by what he looks like. What do you think he's about to do? I'm probably assuming he's going to start a fight. Mm. And done shit. And you don't know that Dakin is a terrible human being. He is. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you I, already I have know no framework for Dakin at all. You don't know that. What you just know he's going to do some angry animal shit. Wolverine. Wolverine costumes look like a guy who's going to go grrr. Like, yeah. And that's what he is. He looks like an animal person. Which is like Wolverines don't have strong visual. They're like they're like fat weasels, right? They're like tall badgers. They're, they're, they don't they're, have. They're, uh, I, I I speak. I, I want to speak now as someone who has in fact watched hours of Wolverine nature photography. I'm not saying they're not. No, 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 no. You're right. It is almost impossible to describe a Wolverine in a way that people get it. Right, because like a tiger, we know what a tiger looks like. A Rottweiler has patterns and colors and what have you like there are different lots of animals who have strong signifiers yeah. wolverines it's just an animal it's the most animal animal ever it's just a beast yeah and wolverine the character looks like a beast guy if mm-hmm. i told you wolverine's name was animal man you'd be like yeah that's animal man if i told you animal man's name was animal man you'd be like well he's wearing an a <laughs> you know? well, you'd also say blue and orange <laughs> oh that's to make it pop never mind right <laughs> Right. Yeah, uh, and like Wolverine has strong theming in his outfits, not so much aesthetics. Like his clothes don't com- communicate anything that we know about Logan. No, they don't say anything about his methodology, about his background as a military person. This, you know, he's just. But he's a strong representation of the shit that he does. Right? Yeah. Like, when the claws pop out and he scratches somebody, we're like, well, that makes sense. Right? Yeah. <laughs> now, on on a on a connected note to that. In, in in Wolverine's design, it also has a degree of plasticity that means that, like, how big are Wolverine's head bits, really? Like, when you big think enough. about it, how big are they? Depends on how, 
how like extreme your artist wants to go, right? Exactly, and that's something that like no matter like it's not something that's got a fixed breadth. There's no nothing in relation to it that people can look at and go, no, that's too big. It can't be that big. It's you know that's that's meant to hold his thing. It can't be too small. No, that those can be as big or as small as the artist wants them to be from shot to shot. There is a degree of plasticity that means that they can play them up and make them make this long, sloping line of his own expression to give him like super feral kind of looks. And indeed, you'll 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 see a lot of uh, promotional art of Wolverine looking forward, head down, eye white, and the line of his head wing is being used to form a big black space in which that eye is lit up, which makes him look nasty and it makes him look feral and it evokes a hunting animal. It is a really effective part of Wolverine's design. It, honestly, Wolverine's outfit is much better for Wolverine's character than Wolverine's name. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know, he, man. Wolverines he's, are he's, terrifying. Like, I would not want to live in a place that has Wolverines. <laughs> I mean, you kind of do. But... I know. No, no, no. <laughs> That's why we have the guns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you do know Wolverines can survive being shot, right? Yeah, but they will... Look, alright? <laughs> the but gun's they... not for the Wolverine. As, 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 it's for me. It's again. for me. If I'm in the room and he's there, I'm glad I have a gun. So this will be quick. I, I, I uh, again, as someone who knows a lot about Wolverines just from watching nature documentaries, because I was like, what is a Wolverine exactly? And I wound up researching them and finding these awesome animals. Like, he doesn't have Wolverine-y traits. Wolverines do things like survive in the frozen cold indefinitely because they don't give a crap about what anyone else is doing. The, I mean, that's, Wolverines, that sounds like Logan. <laughs> the, the, the Wolverine's Latin name, Gulo Gulo, literally means the glutton. And that's because Wolverines can and will eat almost anything. There are nature documentaries that were ruined because the Wolverine found the camera near meat and was like, oh, this smells like someone was handling it. Maybe it's edible. And the Wolverine plowed into the camera trying to eat it. it to give you, to, uh, to, to compare something similar, and also give you the opportunity to shit on somebody I know you like shitting on. What the fuck is Haw- what the fuck is Hawkeye doing with his outfit? Like in its entirety. Like, what is what message is he conveying to us with that, right? Okay, so obviously well, Let's go classic, the, right? Let's go you I know, know, purple. I, with I know the wings you're giving me a big, big wide opening and, and Soft I appreciate that. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna try and be dignified about this, but uh-oh. You're right. Hawkeye's costume is garbage. <laughs> like, what? Like, okay. Like, I think in a very broad way, they're meant to evoke something kind of medieval, right? Because he's got, like, yep. that sort of tunic kind of jerking. Yep. Like, a bit of a scale mail going on. But, it's like, a it's just a bunch effect. of... It's just a bunch of fucking pieces, right? <laughs> Alright, like, so... So, let, let, let's break this down as, as basically as I can. First things first, Hawkeye's design uses four basic colors there's this color of skin there's black which is kind of like a freebie and then there's just the blue and there's just the purple so bold you're going to get uh very distinct lines he has a belt which is surprisingly necessary it, it divides the body into a top and half bottom half and the skirt element of his tunic is a little weird because it doesn't dis it, it doesn't actually flow from the costume up above it's like connected to the belt I think well, that harness situation he's got going on. Like I, like yeah. I'm imagining that whole thing as being a tunic, and then like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking he's got like the shoulder area, mm-hmm. and then like the lines coming down his chest are supposed to be suspenders that connect to his belt, which you know suspenders and belt, you're already fucking up. Yeah, and then the belt has the tunic, I guess, the little the loincloth. If the purple components, are and he's got pirate boots, then he's got a headdress that is somehow connected to the kirtle part of his uh, tunic, which is on his upper body completely skin tight. It, it is it is a confused mess of a design, and I would like to be able to say, oh, I can see what they're doing here, but like the most, the most noteworthy thing I can say about this design when you look at it is if this wasn't in Marvel, if this was like in a normal Saturday morning cartoon, you would look at that and you would know that, that those straps are something other toys plug into. <laughs> right? Am, am I wrong? Like that—that's yeah. what that looks like. They got those big plugs on them. It's like, like I don't know. Like I, for me, 
I feel like a good superhero design should like generate a certain degree of tension in your mind in the sense mm-hmm. that you like it gives you a drum roll and you yeah. have already like you this person appears and you look at them and you already start saying, Oh, he's gonna do this because he looks like yeah. that and he's got this. Yeah. I have n- the fact that Haw- Hawkeye has a bow and a quiver is doing a lot of work for him that his outfit is not. Yeah. <laughs> in, in fact, like if he just shows up naked, you know, unarmed, they're like, I don't know what's about to happen. I'm confused. <laughs> I know I spend a lot of time shitting on uh, on Hawkeye as a character, and I know I spend a lot of time shitting on the the whole not a hero kind of costume designs. But there are three things about about Clint's character design when he is presenting himself as a normal person that all actually do a better job of communicating who he is and what about him is interesting than any of the superhero style outfits. Like, I don't like Hawkeye, but I like him better when he's embracing the street look. Like, post-Ultimates, just like, black with the purple t-shirt and the arrow. Yeah, because three things. One, he has a, a strap on his forearm, which is a type of archery guard. Which, if you don't know what that is, you look at it and you go, that's an odd thing for a person to be wearing, and it might stick in your mind a little bit. Um, but if you do know he's an archer, which you do because you're reading fucking Hawkeye, it's it's like, oh yeah, that's a that's an archery thing. I don't really know what it's for, but that's cool, and it does look cool. It has a it's a it's a neat piece of hardware. I've actually seen like archers wearing them around the place in in real life, like coming away from meetings or whatnot. I'm like, yeah, those those look pretty fucking cool. Uh, the other thing is the G-Man sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Like, if he's going to be the government's Robin Hood, then fucking go for it. Like, lean into it. Play with that whole, you know, you don't need to know kind of look. Play with the man in black thing. And the other character design element, which I've seen on and off, is they sometimes do something with one of his ears. They sometimes give him, like, just some kind of communicator or a plug or something in one of his ears. Well, that may be his hearing aid. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. It's just a visual signifier that there is something about Clint that is, you know, it, it's very easy to let disabilities go invisible, especially in superheroic universes where we have blind people who can fight like they're sighted. And it's nice. It, it is It is nice to me that Clint can occasionally have these things that let you remember that, like, this deaf guy is still a superhero. Like, don't get me wrong, he's a cop, but, you know. <laughs> well, it depends. Right, like the actual Hawkeye who shows up in the like fraction aha when it's not really he's just I love that's the better direction to take Hawkeye than anything he's done in his entire life. <laughs> but <laughs> that's the thing too, and you compare like his counterpart, so to speak. You compare Green Arrow. What yeah. is Green Arrow communicating to you? Robin <laughs> fucking Hood. fucking Robin he's Hood. Robin yeah. Hooding extremely hard. Like, yeah. You're not gonna not get it if he if Green Arrow shows up and he's unarmed. You're like, what are you, Robin Hood? Like you, it'll take. No time for you to get to that place. Robert, right? uh, so, so Green Arrow, uh, I, the thing I love about Green Arrow is his design has actually followed the modern conceptions of Robin Hood's. Exactly, right? He starts with the hat and he like tweaks it to be more superhero. And now the modern archer wears a hood. So it's like, well, I guess I'm going to wear a hood now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and there was that brief period uh, between Prince of Thieves coming out and then the, the more modern hooded look where he had, where, where, thanks to... Costner is it? He had long, crinkly hair, and look at that. <laughs> Ollie's got long, crinkly blonde hair. Weird. Yeah. Again, because he's. He it knows... is a shame that we missed the window of time where he could have been a fox. <laughs> <laughs> That's the trick, right? He knows what he's going for, and mm-hmm. well, well, he knows. Like, well, clearly, Ollie know is doing all that shit intentionally, right? Yeah. Both. That's an that's another know, like, element of character design that, and, car- and superhero costume, in that some characters choose their look, some characters are stuck with their look, and some characters can't explain either way. That's that's and that, like because I never stopped doing this. We can go to Batman, and it's interesting. Yeah, right? because Bat- on the one hand, Batman's look is very intentional. It's very intentional. I mean, that's it's part of his process, right? Like if you said before, that's his edge is part of his look. I not, didn't say that. You said that. You're the smart one in this conversation. Right. But the other thing is, right, he shows that look, and he also, as much as he's Batman, he's not actually very Bat-like when you look at the overall thing, right? No, like, no. No, he's the devil. He's His yeah. whole thing is, I am 
going out of my way to communicate spooky to you. You know, yeah. that's what I'm trying to do. And, and, and for what it's worth, spooky is a really important use here. It's not, he's not scary. He isn't trying to intimidate the reader, but he is trying to signal to the reader, people seeing this will be afraid. Yeah, Halloween, right? Like, yeah. he's putting that in your face so you know it. So when you see him, you you have, uh, is he going to disappear? Is he going to turn to, like, just, if you don't know who he is, you, you conjure a bunch of Halloween-ass images in your head. Which is also why, like, the utility belt becoming more visible over time, I think, has assisted because then it's like, well, he's got all this like tactical shit on him, so he's gonna do ninja things. Is yeah, what you would, would assume. And and that, by the way, is part of why uh, Robins tended to have acrobatic looks by comparison. Right. Yeah. They. It's all very circus. I mean, a lot of superhero stuff is very circus. You know. But, but it's but it's kind of hard to imagine being intimidated by you know original Robin. So he wasn't trying to be spooky. He wasn't trying to be a threat. He was there to be helpful to Batman. Mm -hmm. Ironically, the thing about um, Red Robin that makes him so scary is that you know that that look is an evolution, and and Red Robin has a great look. Mm -hmm. uh, this is did I get did I get to that with the mask conversation? Yeah, you did. About like the, half and the and sidekicks. Half we we yeah, we yeah. kind of we kind of went really hard on that one. No, yeah, <laughs> it's a good look. <laughs> it's okay, but it's one of those things, right? Where it's like, and as much as I like Nightwing. I do feel like his design is all aesthetic and like no theme. Like what if you just can't, especially cause like he has no visible besides his weapons, right? If Nightwing's sitting there and he's holding the scrimmage sticks, we know that he's going to punch you. He's going to hit you. Yeah. But if he's just there and if you don't know who he is, what does your mind assume he's about to do? This being the, in, in, in this context with the blue and the black and the nightsticks. Yeah, like classic. Like, assume he's not holding his weapons because that's a dead giveaway, right? What do you assume he's about to do? Put down a boombox and start to dance. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? He's really hot, all right. Shut up. Yeah, but uh, what I'm saying is like, I love that. I love the motif and all, but it's it, it's another. It's like Wolverine, but it doesn't have as strong of a theme. You know, like if if they lent harder in aesthetic, and that's one of the things that I think I'll grumble about, like the overfocusing of movies and TV, but because of the requirements of those mediums they have inserted more aesthetic into things you know because now mm. you have to decide what materials are going into it like captain america has benefited a lot aesthetically from film yes in ways that he hasn't for decades right because mm. he was always a strong like theme you know it's fucking captain america red white and blue and flags and wings we know looking at him we know what he's about to do but you didn't know how he was about to do it yeah now and and, and the soldier is, comes forward. Yeah, yeah, this is this is going to sound kind of silly, but one of the big things that I think he's benefited from from the Chris Evans existence is being hot. <laughs> I, I know this sounds like such a petty thing to bring up in character design, but Captain America before Chris Evans, if you visualized him, he was Captain America. He was wearing the hood all the time. It didn't matter how he looked. It didn't matter what his hair looked like. It didn't matter if he was good looking or not. Because he was Captain America-ing. Mm. Now with Chris Evans, there's a level of humanity to that. And when you're dealing with a character who is whose symbolism is so blatantly connected to some very big, very problematic kind of conversations, humanizing him and making him someone you feel sympathy for is a huge deal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, like I said, film has benefited that character a lot on a visual level. And like one of the things is, and a lot of that stuff they pulled from the Ultimate Universe, and the Ultimates fucking sucked. So yeah. it's a good thing they they pulled some of the good ideas out. Yeah, you yeah. know they they militarized him a little more. So when you first see old school Captain America, you expect him to give you a speech, and now you expect it to be one of those rousing like drill sergeant like army speeches that'll motivate you to battle. Yeah, you know. Because he's got the fucking combat boots and this, that, and the third. You know, he's not doesn't have pirate gloves and pirate boots anymore that mm -hmm. just make you think, well, I guess that's a superhero thing. Yeah. Or it's a fancy thing. You know, maybe it's a dress uniform. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, like Cap Captain America's design um, is, is um, <laughs> ironically, it benefits greatly from the study of the design of flags. Um, <laughs> which is, you know, obvious because the character was basically meant to be a walking flag. The, the whole yeah. point of the character, um, the the tension in design for superheroes 
isn't just in what they communicate, but how they communicate. There are some superheroes who have a lot of very fine detail in their design that just means it's it's very forgettable. And that means that remembering that stuff is often like 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 Clint being deaf. Like that is actually an element of his character design and it should inform how he looks, but it's very easily forgotten to the point where um Renner, the the guy who plays Hawkeye in the movies. <laughs> well, uh, I know, but he claimed he claimed to do his research, and if we give him the benefit of the doubt, he didn't know Clint was deaf. I don't want to give Jeremy the benefit of the doubt because he seems like a huge jackass. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, but I'm trying, to, I'm, trying, I'm trying to make my point seem more reasonable and use Jeremy Renner's comparative jackassery to beat on uh, character design. But you're right, odds yeah. are really good. He's lying about having done his research, and he's actually a huge jackass who didn't pay attention to anything he was told. And that's why he didn't know Clint was deaf, which is really quite crappy of him, considering that there is, what, three deaf superheroes? And that's stretching to include the one that Stan Lee made for a deaf kid. <laughs> it's not. It's not a. It's not a place where a lot of people can find their heroes. Yeah, and speaking of, you know, Echo and Daredevil. Yeah, Daredevil's another one of those characters. Like you have so much space you could use. You know, <laughs> Satan, the devil. There's so much stuff there. Just but you're just gonna <laughs> just just the horns and that's it, bro. That you, yeah. You got nothing yeah. else. Nope. Those D's don't even look kind of fiery. Just <laughs> it's so plain. You you could be coding him in all sorts of imagery. He could be wondering, and and what's more, he's a Catholic. We've seen him in the like the the, the shot of Daredevil punching someone with a rosary on his fist is almost cliche at this point like it's such a go-to move for oh, how shall we represent the angst of his moral position hmm let's show him punching someone with a rosary like, then, like even then you've got all that christological imagery that ironically kid devil uses and daredevil doesn't batman looks like a better daredevil a devil than batman does. <laughs> if i was uh, to meet batman in the street i'm like oh fuck it's satan if I see Daredevil, I'm like, yo, nice hat, man. Like, <laughs> well, if I see if, if I see Daredevil in the street, I'm gonna be like, oh, there's a weirdo convention around, isn't there? <sighs> Just don't make eye contact. Just don't make eye contact. Try and ignore the way it squeaks when he walks. It's, Try not to think about how wet it is in there. And in that same space, like, there is that unfortunate, like, Black Panther, right? Yeah, is Black Panther uh, has a very we were- limited. We're, we're, mm-hmm. we're gonna, we're gonna, we were gonna get into this particular vein eventually. Here we go. Go on. What? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I have views on the African character. Okay, Black Panther is another character who has like a limited amount of visual. Like there are certain animals. Yeah, that's it, right? He's he's got to he's got to be black and it's got to be Panther. And unfortunately, like Panthers are very plain. It's just a cat, right? You just yeah. get cat. In a fact, very limited set of fact, cat Panthers. Images, you know, are black. Which I mean, I mean, at least it makes his life easier because he doesn't have to be like White Panther, and then it's like, well, why is your costume cat-like and white? Well, I'm I'm White Panther. It's like, oh, a White Panther's uh, a thing? No. <laughs> I mean, probably up. There's lots I mean, of albinism, lots I mean, of species. I'm assuming somewhere out there is one. But, yeah, but the point is that the the Black Panther, at least that overlaps nicely and elegantly. Right. The thing is, like, there is nothing about him that communicates everything about him. No. There's nothing but kingly, there's nothing, like, technological, there's nothing regal or ceremonial, or, it's just, it's just a plain black spandex outfit. Okay, so, so here's the thing, right? Black Panther specifically, he gets a pass. You, th- you think, being the plain? Okay, so the thing, the thing about Black Panther that I think gets a pass is, there's this, okay, so there's this idea in a lot of, um, uh, a lot of the world where the first people to do a thing get the simplest version of it. Like if you look at Britain's postcodes, Britain's postcodes are all super simple because they were one of the first countries to ever have a national post service and everyone else has to make a system that can connect to theirs because it was their first. And, and this means that there's a certain element of naming rights when it comes to being the first along. Now I know Black Panther wasn't the first guy along, but in the universe, in fiction, Black Panthers have been around forever they have not given two shits about what's been going on outside of Wakanda, so doesn't fucking matter about that cultural context. All that matters is within them. And it's a secret identity taken on by the one person in that entire country who has every fucking right to swing his weight around and do what he likes. So the fact that it doesn't 
show you he's the king is to me a strength of that design. But you are otherwise conventionally right. Like if if this wasn't the framing of this is the Black Panther of Wakanda and this is the you know the prince's you know secret identity. If it wasn't that, I'd be completely on board. But I'm willing to give just Black Panther a pass on this one. Well, I mean, on one, it's not a secret identity. When Black Panther shows up, even in Wakanda, like, oh, it's Prince, it's King T'Challa. But like, too, we've seen. I mean, and again, this is a modern thing that we have access to that was maybe not there when the stories were originally written. We've spoken to previous generations of Black Panther who didn't yeah. dress like that, right? Like no. he's dressing like a superhero. There have mm. been other Black Panthers who like come across more ceremonial and more, you know, spirit like different. We've met different. We've had like five generations of ghosts of Black Panther like sit in a room and talk, and they're all dressed in different like tweaks on the design, you know. And there's some good stuff in there, and I'm like, ah man, like that's one of those like disappointment moments where I had with the when I first, first saw him on the movie. It's like, oh, they could do all kinds of things. They could like a robe angle. They could do oh, it's just it's. I mean, it's a very accurate representation, but it's it's one of those yeah. things. Like, Damn, I wanted them I, to I, fuck with it. <laughs> I, I, I still give them that huge pass because he's basically he basically gets to be the most important character of his type. Yeah. So he gets he gets that he gets to be able to say, yeah, I'm I'm going to take the simple fucking look at these things. I I am get, I get to be the boss, and that's fine for him. He gets a pass. Any writer who wants to come along and write any other Wakandan character, any other African character, anything else around that, and any any character who happens to be black in America and have, say, animalistic or shamanistic powers, no. you got to do a lot more fucking work. And here's the trick, right? The Falcon is interesting to me in that regard, because, like, let's ignore some of the early looks, because, like, man, fuck those looks. Like, the green and the orange yeah. and that shit he was doing. <laughs> but, yeah, I think well, he, they, they tried a lot of stuff. I think, like, like right around, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, he hit a Strong, you know, the red and the white. It's all really clean and simple. The problem is, he has a design that is, it's like heavily leaning on one very particular element. If the wings aren't out, he just looks like a normal ass dude, right? Like, yeah. Like, the, the, those, because, especially like, again, early 2000s, those sold his whole look. He, he wasn't doing enough bird shit, and it was his basic look. Really, weird to say, his like, Captain America era look was the best thing for him because it did a lot and it like it accepted the truth about him like bro you're, you're you're Captain America's pal that's your life and like yeah lean into it you know what I'm saying like <laughs> mm. yeah yeah be willing to own what you are hell that's that's the thing that's one of the things is good character design does right and like if you just look at that guy and he says I'm the Falcon you'd be like yeah, you're the Falcon. Like, in his Captain America suit. I would have rather him have kept that, even after he stopped being Captain America, you know? Because, like, no, dude, that's who you are. And it's not a bad look if you make it work, right? Yeah. And it, you know, like, the movies, they're extremely tech-based. And, like, I remember when he first popped up and he was just wearing, like, as someone put it, like, one of Steve's old t-shirts. And I was like, ah, oh, damn, bro, you gotta, like, get something. And they gave him something a little more, like, movie superhero But... You know, it, 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 I think on the one hand, though, that looking like a flight suit does say a lot about him. It makes him look like a fighter pilot. So you look at that guy, yeah. and you're like maybe he's going to hop in a plane and then the plane pops out of his back. And you're like, oh, shit. Like you yeah. already ex- it, it created that assumption in your mind that it then fulfilled in a surprising way. Because there's that thing where people can be like too clever by half and try to like make you think all kinds of shit like beast. Right. Like everyone like I think there are people who want to be. Dude, sort of like the Hank McCoy thing where like oh he's secretly smart and like well, I mean yeah but like that's good once that is a joke yeah that's a, that's a, you do it once and like all right whatever <laughs> you know and and the prob- and the, the problem is that every time you go to that same character design well of juxtaposing smart person bestial appearance you are diminishing all of them mm-hmm. and I mean there's all like and there's like it feels all, like again too clever by half. It feels intentionally contrarian. I put all this fire shit on the guy, but he shoots ice. Oh that yeah, just, big that deal. Just uh, <laughs> you know, like, like you're you're doing it for the sake of doing it, or even like again, like from an aesthetical standpoint, right? Yeah, it it the also whole... has a side effect of wasting diegetic communication. Mm. If you're actually going out there and getting involved in what are amounts to superpowered street brawls. And people look at you, and you're covered in flames. 
and they're in this situation where, uh, I don't know, a building's on fire. And they're like, oh, you control fire, please come help us. And you're like, ah, I'm sorry. My powers are I talk to fire ants. <laughs> like, that's funny. And then people die. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, on that same level, you know, it's kind of, uh, like, the different versions of Captain Cold are interesting to me, right? Because, like... <laughs> do, on, on what level do you mean? Do you mean the many different iterations of the character just called Captain Cold? Yeah, because... Okay, like, right, we're, we're limited Not, to like, Cold Guy. I'm just, I'm specifically re- referring to Leonard Snart. Right, okay, yep. Captain Cold. Oh, goddamn. <laughs> Wentworth Miller does so fucking much. <laughs> but, okay, like, so for the longest time, like... He's just like you know, he has a gun. He shoots light, shoots ice, and then you know you hit New Fifty Two, and he gets like real ass superpowers, and so he can like more readily engage in fist fights with the Flash. I mean, he has ice powers, and so they do the thing where they like expose his arms and they put all his shit out. So a you can see his hands turning cold, you know, to represent his powers, but also b to show that he's not affected by the elements, you know, and he keeps his hood. And there's a lot of the design motifs. I mean, he still looks at, like, Captain Cold at a glance. But, you know, he's missing the aspect of his gun, which, you know, expresses so much about him. Yeah. The sort of uh, physical... Yeah, that's a the, weapons the, uh, but... The fuzzy Parker look as well. Oh, that didn't go. That that just got better. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a, a very distinctive thing. Like, you couldn't take that away and have people go, oh, yeah, that's Captain Cold. They'd be like, who's this guy? And oh, yeah, that, that's is. one of the elements of, of semiotics. You, there are certain, you can peel away bits of a character, but you will realize you've done something distinct when you remove an element of a character and they don't look right anymore. And no one, and people are like, who the hell is this? Oh yeah. I mean, that's part of the thing we said before about like Wolverine's hair. And like, that's part, that's a, a smart move on the, on the, you know, designer's part was like, well, now Wolverine's always going to look like Wolverine because mm-hmm. they made his face look like his mask. Yeah. Um, you, you, you can similarly look to, um, uh, the design of, uh, um, Superman in the movies, the, oh, yeah, the like most this. recent movies. You wouldn't think removing the underpants on the outside would make that big a difference. You know. But holy shit, does it? <laughs> I, I, I can't go with you there. Cause it doesn't bother it. Okay. So here's what happened with me with that, right? Yeah. I had After that you. reaction and then. I got used to it, and it didn't bother me anymore. Like, I think there's a better way to do that, but okay. that's not, like, the worst thing I've seen. And it's like, well, that's, that's still Superman, you know? All right, let's, let's, let's talk about the line of the body and the line of action. And because this is a podcast, this is just the perfect time for me to talk about visual information and storytelling. Oh, that ship has sailed, sunk, frozen from the dead, and is haunting the seas, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, broadly speaking... When you are designing a character, the body is broken up into sections that human beings process as sections. You have legs, arms, head, and trunk. That's that's the broad, simplified version of it. And when you describe them, people do think of them as being separated. People do have... Uh, like, you could very clearly point to a section of a person's body and go, that's arm, and then there's a point where it is no longer arm. When you start drawing characters in action and start showing them moving, this gets a little more tricky because you're not dealing with strict diagrams. And it makes quick reference about what you're looking at really useful. Uh, this is one of the reasons why the sort of casual rule of skin top or skin bottom wound up becoming a thing. It was more of a thing for, uh, for women designs, but for the basic idea of like if one part of your costume is showing skin, it's either the top half of it or the bottom half of it. And it'll usually be, like, uh, entirely bare arms and entirely covered legs, or, like, completely exposed legs and completely covered top. Which means that when you see a limb being, like, curled back, if it's colored, you can say, oh, that's a leg. Or if it's bare, you can say, oh, that's an arm, or vice versa. This is this is really rudimentary. But the trunk of the body still represents this problem where, because we're dealing with figures who are effectively shrink-wrapped, it's very easy to find it uncomfortable to look at the ways they bend and twist and have the line of action through their body. Like when they're like bracing their mid- midsection to lift a very heavy thing above their head. To have that body be one smooth shape going down to the legs. 
you actually start to perceive the legs are starting lower than they do, like around mid-thigh, which can make the middle of the body look more stocky and blocky, and it makes a character look, for lack of a better word, better term, less dynamic, like less capable of movement. And in the case of uh, characters who are doing something very powerful, it often makes them look less human. This is actually something Alan Moore used uh, greatly in Top Tens, where characters were often shown doing these feats of great strength in poses that made their bodies look kind of wrong. Um, in Superman's case, Superman's lack of a line break on his body in, in the midsection in the Man of Steel and Justice League and uh, Batman v Superman movies has a side effect of making him look like he's been pulled up out of the ground. It makes him look stretched. Now, I can understand that that doesn't bother you, but if you look at individual shots of the character acting and working, you'll notice how easy it is to have to disambiguate what you're looking at. You will look at him in motion, and you'll realize his legs kind of don't ever do anything. They just kind of hang. Well, you see, here's the thing about yeah, the Man of Steel costume, right, that causes this problem you're having, that I don't have as much with the New 52 outfit that it's vaguely inspired by. One of the things is that New 52 Superman has an actual belt that, you know, Man of Steel Superman yeah, doesn't. He kind of does. He a has belt, vague lines. A like, belt just, or a sash, any point of contrast, anything that let that line of the body break would do the job. It doesn't have to be the underpants, but it no, has yeah. to have a line break. It has to have some demarcation that says abs north, junk south. Yeah, and the other thing about that is, so, Nifty 2 Designs get some flack for all their weird-ass lines, and, like, yeah. yeah, sure. But here's the thing about those, right? We've developed over time this language of, like, sort of uh, accentuated muscle as being inherently super-heroic, right? Like, yeah. abs are super-heroic in and of themselves. Yeah, and the especially lines... the fact that you can see them vacuum-sealed through clothing. Right, so then that's why you start to see these, like, sort of armor abs that are there, like, and that's kind of what the lines are supposed to do. So even though, like, their actual physical body parts aren't bulging through the costumes, the lines do that work for you. The problem is, is when you do that, and then you also put muscle on top of it. Because now you have these weird double lines. And that's kind of where, like, people misdraw those outfits. And it's kind of what New uh, Man of Steel does. Because if you look at the Man of Steel costume, it's got, like, muscle. And then it's also got New 52 lines. And it just creates this weird, long, dark blue thing going on. Yeah. It, it, you have to pick one, right? If either you're going to imply abs by the shape, like that sort of, it kind of goes down your obliques and tilts inward. Like, a lot of suits do that. This is a very common thing to do nowadays. Yeah. Where people aren't well, I mean, drawing the... New 52 hmm? Superman. Like, honestly, if the character was queer... I'd look at that and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's a, that's a queer reinterpretation of the Superman look. It's real basic. But, like, the thing is, like, this is a common trend to replace the, pant the underpants with this sort of and sort of very clear representation of muscle with these sort of designs where you have a black, like, obliques level thing and then, like, your main colors. Like, almost, like, from your, I guess, your, like, right pectoral to the middle of your back down the side, like, all the way down your legs in like a dark color and then your main color on the front and that see I told you man the ghost it's just all in the ocean right now we're <laughs> yeah we're ghost shipping it up but that's a replacement because it creates that same sort of look it, it you know it evokes pectorals it evokes abs in your mind it draws the eye in that same way and that's supposed to imply strength right yeah the problem is one artist will do that and the next artist will come along and they'll draw that same outfit but then also put muscles on it and so it gets weird and busy and it yeah. loses the message, you know? Yeah, and yeah no, no, you're right. Like, th this is one of the other things about this. A lot of these designs are being beholden to a whole bunch of external factors. Mm -hmm. A lot of these designs are being, you know, pushed through other limitations and other demands. Like, movie executives do not like old Superman's look. They want to change it for the sake of changing it because it makes them look more modern. Uh, yeah, and I don't... Like, there's, there's aspects of... Again, you know, comic book stuff that, like you said, because those are static images. They're not supposed to move. And so yeah. they're supposed to work as static images. There's things you have to do. Like, they tried to make Captain America's hood one solid fabric piece. And what they discovered in film is that you aren't sure what way he's looking because his head's just a solid thing. 
Yeah. So, like, breaking up his neck and his head allowed you to follow his line of sight and see where he was and, you know, allowed him to act with the helmet on when necessary, right? Yeah. And there's things like that. You know, there's aspects, there's, like, the way that masks fit on people's faces. Like, I'm still always annoyed, like, people with secret identities who regularly take their masks off in the middle of important scenes. Yeah. It's like, well, just design a mask that, like, again, like, works in phases, you know? Where you can take yeah. off part of it just enough so your actor can respect emote. Respect the needs of the character in the storytelling. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, to go, like, go really classic and also, like, off of left field, if you look at, like, the old school Kamen Rider design, right? Like, yep. The original, Kamen Rider Ichigo, Kamen Rider 1. He's very clearly Grasshopper Man. And when Grasshopper Man jumps up and kicks you, you're like, well, yeah, no shit. <laughs> right? Yeah, and, yeah, But there's yeah. also... <laughs> but then there's also the, like, biker aspect that he has going on. And, you know, he's wearing a biker helmet, and modern versions make it look like a leather biker suit. And he's got the scarf, which has that sort of old-school, like, adventure, almost, like, pilot look to it. Then there's the belt itself, which is doing things mechanically that you don't quite know, but it's a tech belt. But the, uh, the big thing is, it also has fucking abs on the chest. <laughs> it has the big grasshopper armor abs. Like, it was do- it took that idea from back in the day. And again, because you have this long history of, like, Japanese superheroes existing, like, primarily on television with actors, that is an entirely different aesthetic that was developed, right? Yeah. Like, like, parallel to what we have now. Like, the way a superhero looks in Japan, not like an action hero or a character, but a superhero is its own separate thing, right? Yeah, and and there there is a whole web of language that mm-hmm. we care about in this context. There's there's these interconnected things, like some characters have costumes because other superheroes have costumes. They're effectively oh, yeah. signaling that they want to be taken seriously in the contest of superheroes. And they want to be treated the way people treat superheroes. And that's one of the reasons why superhero costumes are so important in the Marvel and DC universe, and part of why they seem so odd in the less populated universes. Oh, yeah, because, again, that's when you if that's when you go too heavy into this. Like, if you're the only one, then your aesthetic has to come from you and not from just the idea of a superhero, right? Again, it's like Daredevil. It's a choice, like, Daredevil, yeah. Like, Daredevil dresses like a superhero because he lives in a world of superheroes, but, like, why? Like, what do you, like... And, again, Wolverine. Wolverine's thematics, great. Wolverine's aesthetics are superhero-y because that's where he lives. Not necessarily because Logan sat down and said, I want to wear these spandex. That's the kind of guy I am. And it's not the kind of guy Logan is. No. <laughs> if you was to say, hey, Logan, what are you wearing? I'm wearing these fucking jeans and this and this fucking A-shirt because I'm going to get shot up. That's what I'm going to wear. Yeah, uh, and, you and you therein, therein lies, um, like I said, some characters have costumes thrust upon them. Or you have characters like the Hulk who don't really get a choice in how they look or legacy characters, or other characters who have, for some reason, the decision of how they look and how their character costume design works has nothing to do with them as an individual. And it often means that that character is interfacing with this image in a very different way. And you have characters who do choose a look, and they're like, this is how I want to present myself to the world. And then you have the characters who kind of don't have a good reason that leaps to mind. I'm not, I'm not the, saying that, like, Wolverine has no reason to have a costume. Like, if nothing else, the military background makes it so that, hey, everyone in this group has a costume, well, I probably should get one. Like, Real talk, there's a funny moment with that, right? Okay, so, two. One, when uh, Grant Morrison starts running X-Men, uh, what is his, his new X-Men in his run, uh, he puts everybody in, like, movie-esque suits where they're all wearing, like, black leather with big yellow X's on their shirt, right? Like, And the thing he says... Yes. Oh, I'm glad that we don't have to look like idiots anymore. Wolverine says this huh. to to Chuck to Charles Xavier. You know, because I can I can believe that Wolverine is can like like secure enough in himself because he's he's a hundred fucking years old. He's too old for that to like to be like embarrassed by shit too much. That if his sergeant says you have to wear the spandex, he'd be like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. Right? Yeah, I, I don't. But I doubt <laughs> I doubt he would do it on his own volition. Even though we've had scenes of him sewing, because I guess somebody has to do it, right? Yeah. But that's not the, that, that's, that's in and of itself is one thing. Then there's another scene where some younger mutant person is like, why are y'all, and this is after the costumes came back. 
and they go, why do y'all dress like this? And he gets very angry and goes, and he's wearing his oranges and brown. You see this? This is a uniform. It means things. And I'm like, I'm sorry, motherfucker. Aren't you the same guy? <laughs> like, five years ago, it was like, ah, oh, man, that shit looks stupid. And, and that's a writer thing, right? Yeah. It's one writer thinking one thing and one writer thinking another thing. That, that is a byproduct of the very nature of, of comic books being passed from people to people. You don't necessarily have a single coherent ideology behind any decision, and that means characters can often be used as platforms for ideas that they don't necessarily diegetically hold. So I brought up the Sam Raimi um, Spider-Man movies, and I was going to ask, on the note of costume, how do you feel about the Green Goblin as presented in that movie? <sighs> We, we did a little bit of this before. Oh, yeah, we uh, did, during the mask. Yeah. <laughs> I, honestly, I feel like the armor is what bugs me the most, right? Because the armor... It's so like, for the longest time, right? I didn't really buy the Green Goblin. Like, I'm like, hey, whatever, fuck you, Green Goblin. Because I knew him in the car, from the cartoons. And I was like, eh, he flies around, you know? He throws yeah. gadgets, whatever. Like, I, I didn't click that, no, the Green Goblin can probably bench press your car. That didn't yeah. occur to me, right? And I didn't really feel him that much a until the ultimate games and like the ultimate comics but also b the first spider-man movie had a video game adaptation and once you beat it you got to play as green goblin and he was a fucking monster (laughs) 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 you could rip through that game and he had normal ass he flew he was strong and fast he threw the bombs he had the gadgets like jesus christ this game is fucking child's child's play like oh yeah the green goblin like and i'm like i would like to be like i when you can, like, understand, like, when he's not wearing crazy armor, then it's like, oh, right, yeah, when he does amazing things, you understand his power. But if he's wearing armor, or if he's a giant Hulk, you're like, eh, whatever, you know? It, but, like, the mask doesn't bother me, but the, the armor does, because it doesn't convey to me that he has superpowers. And it doesn't, it just, oh, well, I guess it goes with the helmet, and it does, and it, as one piece, it looks fine. As a representation of Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin, it's it loses like obviously it loses the Halloween aspects that he's going for with the you know Jack Lanterns and all that shit, but it also just loses the idea that he has real superpowers in and of himself. So when he punches you know Tobey Maguire and he goes flying, I'm like, why? You know, like I, I didn't you know infer that you could do that. Like if you did that with a bomb, it's actually funny, right? That he take it yeah. back to Common Rider, and that's a very Common Rider ask design. I showed my mom. Way back in the day. I showed her Forze. Comrade Forze. And there's a lot of presentation with that. Like, anytime he does something, there's effects and there's sounds. And you've seen a modern Rider show, so you have an idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. And then I showed her the movie version of Rider 1. Comrade the first. And he punched a guy. The guy falls over there and he explodes because it's Toku. And my mom goes, why did that happen? I was like, well, because yeah. he, he, he got Rider kit. That's what happens. But he's like, yeah, but when the other guy does it, he fucking presses a button and it goes bomb on and his foot turns into a bomb and he kicks the guy and he explodes. You know? <laughs> they, they... <laughs> yeah. So, like, I'm supposed to assume Green Goblin is strong because he's fighting Spider-Man, you know? Yeah. And there's nothing for me to be like, oh, well, obviously he should be that strong, nor is there anything to surprise me. It's just kind of a blank reaction, you know? Yeah, you, you're representing a a, uh, a sort of base assumptions, the, the way that the world knows it's supposed to work, because that's the way this kind of world works. And that's okay. That's, that's just the way it is. And that's part of the language of this kind of storytelling. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting to me, because, like, the, uh, like, you go to, like, ranger suits, right? And they're, ranger suits are another thing where it's like, this is what we look like. And that is how we do this, regardless of anything else. You know, you're going to get spandex, you're going to get the helmets, and you're just going to, you're just, you as a viewer, accept that this is how this works, and you go with it, right? Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing about it, like, it's just, it's, it's, again, it's, it's pure aesthetic at that point, you know, and they do, do, they have, you know, everyone, each one of them has a very specific theme that they go with, but, doesn't matter. It actually does not fucking matter. Dinosaurs, robots, spies, ghosts, whatever. Power Rangers. That's first and foremost up front. And you can look at a guy like Thor. Thor is all aesthetic, right? Thor looks like a Jack Kirby Viking. Yeah, and, and, and when you think about it, really, he doesn't, like, there's a lot of stuff going on in Thor's design that doesn't make a goddamn bit of sense. But it's, it's... Why Thor is he like Thor. lights? I, I, Every version of Thor, like, just looks like Thor. Like, if you don't know who Thor is, if you, you know, like, like, in terms of mythology, 
that don't that doesn't mean shit to you. <laughs> I guess he's going to hit me with a hammer. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah. Is he magic or is he just a big guy with a hammer? Giant is he, one is guy it, with a hammer. Okay. That's it. That's I and I guess that's all you need to know. <laughs> you look at that, and again, Hulk. So again, Hulk is not really superhero so much as he's a science monster, so he doesn't have to worry about all that. You know, he's he's in the same place as Godzilla. He doesn't have to explain shit to you. He just has to punch you, and there's no choice. Uh, I love the design of Blue Beetle. I don't know. Like how I feel, like I just like it as a design. I'm not sure how I feel about it as a superhero design, because like you know, I mean, it does a lot, right? Because it's gonna transform and it's gonna do tech, so it just has to convey. It's like Iron Man, right? It has to convey to you a robot aspect, and that's all you need to know, really. Yeah, the fact that it's also carrying a certain degree of like thematic, you know, references with like the whole Beetle aesthetic, and to a certain degree the like luchador thing and, and inhumanity, right? That's like a nice little, like, garnish on top of the core thing, which is, you know, alien robot. That's really all you need yeah. to get from that. That's all it asks of you, right? It's, it's a good look. Uh, I guess I just, I just don't know how I feel about it as a superhero design, cause it's like, I don't even think it wants to be. It just wants to be a cool ass look. And it succeeds. Yeah. And, you know, to some extent that can work on its own right there. Like you're, oh, yeah. you're effectively talking about a character who cares about how they look and how they can choose to go out. And one of the things about superheroes that's they're part of the narrative of them is that it's cool. It's like neat to be a superhero. And so when you have characters who don't look good or who look kind of stupid mm-hmm. and they're uh, like self-conscious people, that's part of a problem. You've, you've got to, you've got to grapple with what that means for those characters in that space. And if they're okay with that. Do they do they mind looking silly? Uh, do they notice that they look silly? Oh yeah, I mean, and there's like you know a lot of like Metamorpho is a good example of like he is a monster character, but he's also like he was he was a turn into a monster that looks like a type of superhero, right? Like he's he's got a spandexy looking body now, but he's also like, if that's a real person and you met him, you're like, oh, you poor sad man, yeah. <laughs> right? You, you you have spandex bonded to your body, basically, almost. Like, that's how that looks. And it's it's just weird enough. I'm like, man, what are you doing? Like, and that's... I think the more interesting thing about those type of designs is when you look at stuff like all of the fourth world stuff, right? All of the Jack Kirby stuff, where these are characters who are drawn in, like, a superheroic way, but, like, in their original intent, weren't designed to interact with a superhero universe, and... Like, weren't operating on that language. They're just drawn that way because that's what we do now. You know, that's how Jack had grown accustomed to designing people over the years. (coughs) And you got from that this really, like, wild sort of visual language that is mostly derived from they look like the other things they look like. And that's fine. Yeah, Yeah, that's, like, a fantastic thing to go for where you create your own language of visuals. And, And now, again, there's a certain way to do things to evoke that Outside of that context, you know, you put the dots on things, you put the, the, the particular types of lining and circles and stuff, and that says stuff that you don't even have to really explain, you don't have to explain outside of its context, you know? Someone shows up looking like a celestial, and if you know that genre, you stop and take notice, like, oh, this must be important, you know? Because he's got all these circles and lines. <laughs> it, it does, it does take a, uh, it does take a, um, sort of, uh, metric ton of work. To try and get around to the point where you are defining a visual aesthetic by yourself. And, well, the you man know, did it. <laughs> I, I think it's probably for the best that we don't get back to that point uh, with artists in general. Anyway, I, I get the feeling this is like a really deep well and we'll be able to come back to this. Oh, uh, for sure. Like, specifically, like, I can, we can go for, like, I remember me and you used to have conversations and you would talk about the, I guess, like, some of the visual things you were going for in certain designs. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. And I'd say, well, yeah. But everybody's not going to get that. And you're like, yeah, but it's a thing. I'm doing it. And I'm like, I'm like mm. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if everybody's going to get what Survey is going for, man. You got you to gotta, you gotta make it cleaner. By the way, it's and pronounced Kameth. Thank you. I have no idea how to pronounce that word, man. It's, it's Gaelic. It's okay. Yeah, good. Yeah, it's not a real. I don't, I don't expect you to understand languages you've never learned to speak. Yeah. But no, like, dude, like, I, there's things like that, and like the, the the penetration of certain types of symbolism and imagery that we can come back to, you know, intensely that we may not have time to do here. So, yeah, 
And we've managed to do this while circling around certain topics and, and you know, not going for the low-hanging fruit just yet. Oh, which is... Anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> that's another episode of From the Rooftops. We hope you've enjoyed yourself. <laughs> that was Clay. <laughs> that was, and that was a dodge. That was a massive dodge. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody. Blade's costume is pretty good. And we're done. <laughs> <laughs>